0: Hi everybody and welcome to Therefore I Geek. I'm Tracy. I'm Becky. I'm Donnell. And we are on some episode. We can re-record that part when we figure
1: it out. No, we're keeping it. We're
2: keeping (laughs) it. 130 something.
1: Something. This is woman's superiority, we're going to get <laughs> that. You know, prepared,
2: not always. Not- but you know what? We're good at it, so that's fine. Today we're talking about Professor Marston and Wonder Woman, a movie that just was released this weekend, um, proclaiming, or at least it claims to be the backstory of the man who created Wonder Woman. He's an interesting character and has a very unusual life story, and supposedly this movie tells us all about it.
0: Yes, it's... It's supposed to be based in truth, although there is some controversy that we'll get to. I have the box office mojo pulled up and... At the moment, it's taken in seven hundred and thirty-seven thousand. So has oh, dear. yeah, it has not broken the million-dollar mark this weekend. Granted, it is rated R, and that <coughs> does... but
2: it's a limited release. I think it's it's under thirteen hundred theaters.
0: Yes,
1: yes. Yeah, that's I'm gonna say that's surprising to me because um, it was at least two theaters that were close to me. But I will say when me and Joseph went to go see the movie, there was only one other person in the theater on Friday night.
0: Yeah, I only had two other people in the theater with me. It was
2: I don't think it was super popular. And in fact, until you had mentioned that it was going to be in theaters, Becky, a couple weeks ago, I had not even heard of it. So it definitely had a limited marketing campaign.
0: Yeah, I hadn't heard of it until uh, we went on vacation. And I actually was watching TV with cable. And I saw the commercials for it. Oh, is Uh, that?
2: Those of us who never have cable, I mean, I think that's all three of us. I don't think any of us have cable right now.
1: Well, yeah, I don't have cable, but I'll say I was seeing stuff on Facebook about it. That's where I first saw. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, okay. I wasn't sure if I wanted to, but then Becky was like, hey. I (laughs) I will say I'm
2: always curious about box office numbers now that movie has become such a big thing. So my movie pass finally, I signed up probably two months ago and it just finally came in the mail. So this was my first use of the movie pass i don't know if you guys have signed up for this yeah how exactly um, but it, does it work it's sort of a subscription service much like i think audible or hulu i mean so many things are subscription these days you can get bark box you can get oh, right. beauty boxes but in this particular case it is a debit card that comes to you you pay i think 10.95 a month and you can use this once per day in participating theaters to see a movie So what you do is you go on, there's an app. You have to be in the theater on the day of in order to check into the movie of your choice. So that does limit you. You can't plan out in advance, but in this particular case, again, my theater was also not crowded, so it was easy enough. I hit the check-in button. I went to the kiosk picked the movie and I have 30 minutes for my card to be active and I just swipe my card and that pays for the movie, quote unquote. So after, for me, my theater charges about $12 to $13 for a plain, two-dimensional, regular movie, not IMAX, nothing special at all. And so for me, the, first of all, my first movie is discounted and thereafter, for the rest of the month, they're essentially free. So my interest is, if MoviePass is becoming a big thing, and it is, I, I've seen, I mean, it's everywhere now, at least here in DC, because there's a bunch of theaters that participate. Those box office numbers? Are they based on ticket sales? Because in this particular case I didn't I don't really pay full price for my ticket. Right. And tomorrow if or, you know, Tuesday if I go see, for instance, Kingsman, which also came out last week, then that yeah, I'm not really paying for that. So I'm I'm curious if those numbers are just
1: ticket sales. Interesting. Or... I don't know, but I am I've read up on the movie pass, but I kinda wanted to wait and let other people be the guinea pigs before I signed up
2: for it. I'll say I had no problems with it. I was really nervous because I'm not the p- person that enjoys having their card declined. Like that to me is like panic inducing. So I was like, Oh God, <laughs> please let this work. Made the swipe, print it out. No problems whatsoever. The one thing I will say is it's in such high demand. I don't think they were exp- when they went down from being, I think it was $30 a month to being 1095. There was a huge surge in demand and they couldn't really keep up with printing the cards. So it oh. took me about two months to get my card in the mail, but you don't get charged until you receive your card. I'm, mean, I have had no problem so far with the service. I'm curious to see how long this lasts, though, because I don't think theaters are super happy about it. And just for the record, I am not paid by MoviePass. I have absolutely no stake in this company. (laughs) It's just something that was interesting to me, and I I don't go to that many movies because they are so expensive, so I thought this would be a good way to get out and see a little bit more.
1: But, MoviePass, if you do want to endorse us, we are not against that. (laughs) Yeah, we will take the money, please. (laughs) We'll
0: endorse good stuff. One hundred percent. So in terms of income, the movie doesn't seem to be doing that great, but it does have eighty seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. The people are seeming to generally like it from what I have looked up. I think there was another thing that said like sixty three
1: percent or something. But Well then I guess we should probably give our first impressions yeah. after seeing the movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Donnell, why don't you start? I'll be honest I liked the movie I thought the actors were were good enough they were I mean it was entertaining for what I saw my opinion has probably changed since then and I'll give my reasons why but for the most part I enjoyed it I thought it was beautifully done there was some scenes that I was like that doesn't look like there's some was some funky cgi and it could be because it was a lower budget movie I don't know I didn't check the numbers on that but anyway for the most part I kind of I enjoyed it. I don't think it's amazing or anything, but...
0: Yeah, I I really liked it, you know, for what it was as a movie. I haven't fully gotten into the history. I started reading The Secret History of Wonder Woman, but I've only got a few chapters in. So I don't know how... Accurate It is. But for entertainment value, for telling a story, I thought it was good. And I really enjoyed the performances of the three main actors. The thing that bothered me the most is that this movie spans 20 years and they did nothing to age anybody. Like <laughs> the only way you can tell that yeah. time has passed is that the kids have aged but and the hairstyles yeah the, women th- the the hairstyles are slightly different but like they all look exactly the same um and I'm wondering if part of that is you don't want to see 50 year olds having a threesome <laughs> maybe but yeah yeah let's but look. but yeah that was that was my biggest complaint was that an age makeup is not always done properly so maybe they just decided you know let's just not bother with it but something more to show the passage of time would have been nice
1: I think they may have tried Dying the main actor's hair a little bit. Yeah. But,
0: still. but yeah. Tracy, what about you?
1: <laughs> yeah, I have to agree with the idea that
2: it made for an entertaining movie, but honestly, to me there were only two standout really great things about this movie. That is the married couple Luke Evans and uh, Rebecca Hall as William Marston and Elizabeth, his wife, were very hot. Both of them. Very attractive. (laughs) Loved their performances. Thought they were incredible. And the second thing is that, thank God for a positive representation of bisexuality in a movie. Yeah. Because bisexual invisibility is such a huge thing and by that I mean that bisexual are are invisible in daily life so if you are a woman who is bisexual and you are with a woman then you are a lesbian to everyone around you and if you are a woman who is bisexual and you are with a man then you are straight and the truth of the matter is you're neither of those things you're somewhere right. in the middle. And it's so rare to see a positive representation of this in the media that it was really, really refreshing to see. However, oh. all of that said, this felt like a softcore porn yeah. to me. I was very, I, I don't think that love should always be represented as sex. And I think that they erred on the side of overtly sexual i mean in everything from moments in which they have the lie detector strapped onto the women and they're like very close-ups of like the bosom region like Yes. This was for about three minutes, right smack in the middle, a handmaid's tale without the torture porn. I just I was I was yeah uncomfortable, but not in the I am growing as a person way. And the other thing is I didn't love the editing or the sound choices. So the way that they were jumping back and forth to the tribunal of sorts with the, I'm going to forget the name of the panel, but the woman that was in charge of child psychology, blah, blah, blah. Right. Somewhat realistic. I mean, there were a lot of child psychology kind of quacks that were influencing Congress at that time. That's that's pretty normal in, in Actually, all of
1: comic history. But I'm going to correct you because I've done some research. That panel situation never happened. In fact, it wasn't until after Marston died that you had panels and Congress. I mean, there were situations where people were writing letters to Gaines and gains. Gaines, or no, sorry, I think it was Hines, um, the creator of um, American, uh, I'm going to mess it up, but it's DC's Predator, I want to say it's all American comics, I want to say his name's Hines, if I'm messing it up. I it's think like it's Max... Gaines. Yeah, okay. Gaines, and also, Gaines or <laughs> Hines? Uh, Max Hines was receiving letters about Wonder Woman, and he would forward that to Marston, so, but Marston never went before some kind of panel that was like, bondage over sexuality, how dare you? So I, I do wanna clarify that that portion of the movie is actually, there's a lava. Completely made up. Oh, yes nice. completely made
2: up. So in addition to being poorly edited, it was also fictitious. And then I also took issue with some of the music choices. For instance, feeling good song in the middle of the, their initial threesome was very ham fisted.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and and if you notice, as the woman's not on top, them. she wasn't really in the right nope, area. She was not, like, not, yeah. I was like, not even close. Where is
0: she going? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. This reminds
1: me of another movie that, <laughs> yeah. And I'm trying to remember what that movie is, but there's a movie coming out with, uh, that they make fun of that movie. And I'm sorry to our audience that I can't think of the name of those titles. And if we get and if we get a ton of comments correcting me, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah,
0: I, I agree. It was like, okay, yeah, good representation for bisexuality and polyamory. But at the same time, it doesn't all revolve around sex. And, There was a lot of making their relationship all about the sex. And then that made it easy to translate into, oh, well, Wonder Woman was all about bondage and sex. And that's why I kind of wanted to go back to the comics, because as, you know, they're flashing these panels of Wonder Woman in chains and all of these bondage symbolism. I was like, how heavy handed was that? Or are you just picking and choosing to look at that? And in going back and reading some of the original Wonder Woman, I mean, there is definitely bondage in there, but it's only sexual if you make it sexual. And it's not just, yeah. it's not just the women who are getting chained up. The guys are chaining guys up. Like, you know, back in the day, you got the evil twirly mustache person chaining somebody to a train
1: track, and you didn't consider that sexual, so... And actually, Marston fiercely defended. He's like, no, these are supposed to be symbol. It's from the suffrage Movement. This right. is all supposed to represent women who were carrying around chains, being bound by men, being all these, and I want to make sure I get that, all this oppression from men. The whole point of the chains and the bonds was... This is a way to tell girls you can break those bondage. You can get out of them yourselves. In fact, I mean, Marston's point was he did not want to make Wonder Woman violent. She always had a method to solve it using her brains and love and her female power, as you would say, because he was very much, women should rule the world. (laughs) And... He reflected that in his comic books.
0: Yeah. And one and of I- the things that's really s- stuck out to me as I've been reading the comics is at the end of almost every issue, everybody is going up to Steve Trevor saying, thank you for saving us. And every single time Steve Trevor is like, it wasn't me. It was Wonder Woman. You should be giving her the praise and, you know, acknowledging the women and acknowledging the woman who's saving his life and saying, no, I don't deserve any of this. Stop heaping her accomplishments
1: onto me. I didn't know that, but that sounds like Marston. He would be like, no, I didn't do anything.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So I have to ask you guys a question because this came up in our discussion of the history of Wonder Woman when the movie came out earlier this year. And we all sort of came to the conclusion that Marston probably had a little bit of a creepy side. Oh yeah. Or at least it appeared that he did. And they, they They try to address that in this movie. I don't know if they address it correctly in the way that he would have, but in the scenes in which he is in a pornography shop and he's being taught how to tie up a partner, well, not just him, but several people, which was also kind of weird because there seemed to be sort of an audience for that. But his wife, Elizabeth, takes issue with the fact that it is a woman being bound, and she can't imagine that anyone would introduce pain, even a small amount of pain, into their pleasure on purpose, especially a woman. And the end of this scene, of course, is that she's wrong, and that there is, you know, a dominant submissive uh, portion of BDSM that's that's completely consensual. Do you think that that
1: was enough of an apologist Statement for Marston, or is he still a creep? Actually, to be honest, I think in this movie, based on what I was, I'm going to say, listening to, because I got the audiobook for The Secret Life of Wonder Woman by Jill, and I apologize if I don't say your name, last name right, Jill Lepore, which I recommend anyone who actually wants to really delve into the history and find out the true story should do, because it is is—it is a truly fascinating marston was much more creepy and i think they actually made him much more nicer in this movie much more charming
2: sure help that he was played by luke evans cannot you know, cannot stress enough how attractive that man is
1: yeah i totally forget that he really did not pull off a good boston accent <laughs> <laughs> he in an interview said i was trying to do a boston accent and i what? was like you were what uh, well, oh, forgive you. <laughs> so um, for you daniel then i
2: have to ask when i was doing some research for this I didn't come across any strong evidence that specifically stated that this was truly polyamory. Because at some point, there was a third woman living in their house as well. Was this truly a three-way love affair or was this Marston with multiple women and a wife that would forgive it or at least comply with it to borrow some of this theory
1: (laughs) to be honest according to the children based off of what I've read the children firmly say no between Olive and Elizabeth they were like sisters This is what you have to realize is that Marston, when he met Olive, Elizabeth was in New York being an editor for Parent Magazine, supporting Marston. So she was never there when he met Olive and as far as when they started up the relationship. In fact, he came back to his wife and said, either you let her live with us or I'm leaving you. And she then, as the story goes, took a six-hour walk. And her thought was, well, I want to be a woman who has my career, but I also want the career and family. And her compromise with Marston was, that's fine. You can keep your mistress, but she's going to take care of my children and take care of the home. And that was their ranges. Now, the other woman, Margie Wilkes Hurtley, was someone Marston met when he was helping soldiers from World War One who had PTSD. Mm-hmm. And it is very much implied from what the book The secret life of Wonder Woman said is that it's very possible that they had a threesome, but Margie honestly was kind of a free spirit librarian who came and went as she wanted. She never had any children with Marston. She would live. So imagine here, Elizabeth, her income provided for not only Olive, but also for Margie and Marston. And so this is a woman who, during a portion of her life, got left for a train to New York City at 7 a.m. and got home at 7 p.m. That's what she did. She was constantly working. In fact, I think it was on a survey when people said, what do you do during your leisure time? And her response was I have no leisure time. Hmm. So part of me kind of feels like the movie really misrepresented these women and what they did to support a man who, essentially, who kept getting fired from every job he had. The only successful thing he really did was Wonder Woman. That was the last five years of his life. So, I mean, yeah. that's why I w- want to say Marston was much more of a, they portrayed him nicely. Yeah. Very I, nicely. <laughs> yeah. And I, I wonder how much,
0: I mean, he was certainly a feminist and certainly for that yes. time pe- time period uh, he was, but, you know, it begs the question, was it truly consensual? I mean, obviously, presumably the sex was, but was his wife truly okay with it? Did he, you know, assert his male power to say, you know, I'm going to take all of these extra women and you're going to be okay with it. I think Elizabeth was my favorite character in the movie because she she seemed the most conflicted and not just because of the do I want to be in a bisexual relationship or not, but, you know, she was very much a strong feminist who wanted to you know break barriers and everything but at the same time she's the one who keeps succumbing to societal standards like at first she rejects olive before she then changes her mind and then she's the one who breaks up with olive for the sake of the children and and what society thinks of them and then she has to end up coming around so she appears to be the most dominant in terms of her personality she's very much you know she's kind of a cold bitch is how she she comes across but when it comes down to it she's the most submissive to society Um, interesting
2: because i felt that she played a dominant role in the overall relationship i would have to say that it seemed as though olive were subservient really to both but more to william marston and that both of them were subservient or or submissive to elizabeth very interesting
1: which i do also point out that whole like all of leaving the family never happened in fact that the children admit all would have never left her children And, and mind you when i say children i am including the ones that marston and elizabeth had together in fact Elizabeth actually was the one who had children first
0: yeah not Olive
1: in fact Olive was going to get a PhD and quit her PhD program because Elizabeth had children Olive had to go have children and I do also want to point out too is that Olive did not let the children know about who their father was even when they asked her because she pretty much said I will kill myself if you if you tell your children that you're their actual biological father like I'm telling you that was her that was her way and I gotta say Olive I think that's one thing I think the movie did get correct is that Olive was a very submissive person. I mean, for someone who's submissive, you would say something like, I will kill myself if you don't do what I want. That, That seems more like a submissive person. So I think that, at least for the most part, was... I think, somewhat accurate. But mm. submissive in the ways the movie portrays, I actually kind of doubt that a little bit.
0: Yeah. Has anything in your research shown if they were into BDSM? Or, I mean, <laughs> tra- how do you even the- know that?
1: <laughs> well, well, I'm going to go based off what the children said. And I, and I have to think that you have four children, they're going to get into everything. And they said there was nothing like that in the house. And on top of that, neither of the women would have been okay with that. And this is coming from, I hope I say your name right, Kristen Marston. She was the granddaughter of Marston and Elizabeth. Uh, she was a Pete, their, the oldest child's daughter, I think. I may be wrong on that. I'm not to did, I
2: do know that she is because she helped her father run and does currently run the museum that he started since he has passed away.
1: Yeah, in an interview she said, you know, I talked to my grandma as an adult. I knew her as a woman. She was very open. She was very honest. Never said anything like this happened. So...
2: I wonder then if Wonder Woman, to some extent, what bondage may have made it into the comics if it was just an unfulfilled fantasy, which makes far more sense than a representation of what you tend to not talk about what you do at home, especially at that time frame. It's more what you wish you could do at home, I I would imagine.
1: Well, I don't know. To be honest, I really think the focus of the the bondage you see in Wonder Woman is to represent suffragist movement, because the artist was a suffragist artist and that was something that was a very strong image that the suffragists used and in fact I think part of it was because you know during the time of the suffrage movement this is right after slavery had ended and so they were trying just to, to take I could be wrong on this but my suspicion and what it sounds like they were taking the most horrible imagery from slavery and applying that to women to say this is how we are being oppressed So that's why Marston was very much chains, tied up. And Becky, you might be able to tell me if I'm correct, but Wonder Woman always is the one who get who who breaks her bonds. Yes. It's always her. She is the one who breaks the oppression. Yes. And that was something very important to Marston. He's like, I'm making my oppression. Yeah. Yeah. Not a man. A man doesn't do it for me.
0: (laughs) Yeah. There's, I think, a majority of the bondage is is more symbolic towards female oppression. There are some strange things in Wonder Woman, though. She teams up with this sorority group, and they have weird hazing rituals. And it's, you know, there are some things that are reminiscent of BDSM in the comic books that don't seem all that symbolic.
1: Are we talking about the baby party here? Cause
0: Yeah, I haven't gotten to the issue with the baby party, but there's definitely there's Etta, who is a very different character than she is in the movie of Wonder Woman. But Etta is like the leader of the sorority group that Wonder Woman teams up with. And when she captures Dr. Poison, she's like paddling her into the jail cell. And she's like, come on, baby, you gotta go. And and you just see Dr. Poison like, ouch, oh my goodness, this hurts so much. And yeah, it's very bizarre.
2: But How I- much of this could be explained by the traditional method of, and I realized that the Marvel method applies primarily to Marvel, not to action comics or or to the DC pre- predecessor. But I mean, we saw glimpses. I really wish that the movie had explored the comics method a little bit more. But yeah. this idea that it's a room full of guys just drawing as quickly as they can with just the bare bones. Of course, they showed uh, a full script for this comic. And we know, you know, as comic fans, that that rarely happened. You usually had a single page with a couple of ideas and your artist was meant to flesh all of that out. Could some of that have been sort of infiltration from multiple hands in the same pie?
0: Possibly. I think it also has to do with just the fact that she was female and showing violence being done by females or against females is, you know, we don't really... We find out Dr. Poison is is a woman. Let's not shoot her or anything like that. Let's paddle her bottom until she goes into the jail cell. Um- <laughs> i'm
2: sorry that's just it's hilarious it's very bizarre um a male's view of how a woman would punish another woman that is so very yes and and i don't mean in the in the male gaze i mean boys that are like how would a girl punish another girl i know
1: yeah well well, (laughs) well to be fair to be fair that baby party that's shown in the movie so in the movie there's this scene where marston and his wife uh watch olive in the sorority which olive was in a sorority that was one of the ways she connected with people when she was in college there was this baby party that basically she let marston go to and he he witnessed women paddling each other and then he proceeded to interview them and ask them so make you feel? Did it make you turn on? He probably didn't ask it that way, but it was very clearly implied he was pulling some of that, you know, did it make you feel sexual Yeah. stuff. So, so my guess is that he's thinking in his mind, I don't want to hurt the women. Paddling is a pleasurable way to punish them without actually doing violence to them. Yeah. But is it over so Are you sexual- telling me that the yeah. baby
2: party actually happened? at so- Yes. Or at least that he was allowed to witness sorority events?
1: He was allowed... Yeah, he- They say it was a baby party. Now, Elizabeth was not there. Because as I said, she was in New York. So Olive allowed him to come in and witness it. As to how he witnessed it, more of the details about that, I can't remember off-, off the top of my head. And I don't want to smoke and say, like, oh, he was like a creepy old man sneaking in there. Or if he was just... An observer that the girls were like, okay, I will let you do it. I don't, I don't know. But I do know he witnessed that. I will say. And Olive was okay with it.
0: In the movie, it was like, how did nobody see them sitting at the top of the stairs? They're so obviously right there. And yeah. Olive is staring at right. them the entire time. Like, nobody followed her gaze. No,
2: but nobody was like, what are you looking at, Olive? No, None of that? No? Okay. Right. All right.
0: So hush, whether or not hush. he creeped in in real life in the movie, that was. Kind yeah, of a which retic- actually
1: <laughs> Did you guys notice a lot of the female gazes there? Yeah. That was something the director tried for. And actually, there's one point I do want... I know I'm kind of changing the subject a little bit here. But there's one point I want to say is I felt like the female relationship was focused on a lot more, that Martian was just a third to the party. Which yeah. the director and writer, Angela Robinson, I think the fact that she's a lesbian does come out in this movie. Um, but that's not a bad thing. In, no, I'm not again, saying that's that's sort a of a bad Again, into what I was it sort of feeds into what I
2: was saying in that the bisexual relationships that even the lesbian relationships were very positively, I mean, it felt fairly realistic that i You're always, especially when you're first introduced to the idea, there is a struggle. There is a, is this who I am? But what about this dude that I still like? Like, that's a very conflicting time, especially as an adult going through that. I could see that playing out in a similar way to the way it was portrayed in the movie. The back and forth, I don't know. I think that the long term polyamorous relationship was played off as a whole hell of a lot easier than it would actually be in real life. I mean, as women, we are in competition with each other all the time. And that's not going to change just because someone declares at the beginning of the movie that they don't experience sexual jealousy. I'm I'm sorry, that seemed a little bit of a stretch. Well,
1: to be honest, when she actually came face to face with Olive, then she was like, don't sleep with my husband. Don't fuck my husband. Right. And and so clearly they made the point of coming back and saying, well, I do get jealous.
2: I'm allowed that. Well, I believe she was saying that she was academically jealous. A thin justification, I think.
0: I was just going to say, in the scene when the three of them first get together, one thing I did appreciate was because it starts with Elizabeth and Olive together, that William Marston is not sitting in the background going, oh yeah, there's two girls getting it on. You can see a range of emotion in his eyes. And I think that's a testimony to to Luke Evans that it's not, oh, I'm really being turned on by these two women making out. It's my wife is kissing somebody else and I have mixed feelings about this and everything. And, And then they eventually invite him in and then he's like, yeah, but, but, but at well, it first isn't,
2: you're absolutely right. I love that it is also not all about him. They are not setting a stage for him, and he is not the first person invited into it. It's not him making out with a girl and then inviting a second woman in, it's also not the two of them making out so that he can react to it. Right. Which is really nice. Yeah. And rare.
0: (laughs) Sadly.
1: Well, like I said, the writer and director, Angela Robinson, she does not have a lot of experience as far as filmmaking goes. Uh, I mean, she's done films, but mostly the work that she has done has been writing a lot of stuff involving stories with lesbians. So it, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense that she could write a story about two women mm-hmm. and, you know, write a love story about two women because that's her experience. On top of that, you know, she is a lesbian herself, so it's very clear she takes from her personal experiences and she she makes a story out of it. Which, I will say this, that's a little bit of a Marston quality. Because Marston, yes, he created Wonder Woman, but he took all of his stories from his own life. In fact, in Secret Life of a Wonder Woman, later on in his life, after he got polio, and when he was still writing Wonder Woman, he started to incorporate stories of his children into the comic books. And also, throughout the Wonder Woman comic strip, as he was writing it, he took stories from suffragist movements. That's what he was writing. There's actually, when he was in college, he won an award for, I don't want to say putting out a script, but he basically won this, like, $100 for putting in a movie idea. This is before talkies. I'm going to say that. This is a silent movie. He won a contest, and his contest was pretty much the right. Jill Lepore kind of makes the point that he probably, that entire sh- movie was based on his life. It was about a college student. Ooh, something about football and, and was in debt. And in, in college, he was not debt. Mm-hmm. So anyway, there's there's more to it. Like I said, Secret Life of Wonder Woman. Check it out.
2: <laughs> Much more truthful, apparently, than in yeah. the movie. Um, what about the Lasso of Truth, the real-life lie detector that yeah. was based on dubious science, but <laughs> also an integral part of the movie?
1: Well, see, here's the thing that I think is really interesting, is that throughout his life, he kept trying to be like, I am the creator of the lie detector, I can detect falsehoods, and whenever he described the lie detector test, his point was that it was him, the operator, was the one who could tell lies. This is all throughout his career. He keeps bringing up, he keeps trying to bring in this lie detector. There was a point when a studio called him in to be their psychologist to see how audience would react to movies, because this is during the time that they were switching from silent movies to talkies, and so... He brought in his lie detector test then too to determine how audience members reacted to a movie and he through his test determined brunettes get turned on more than blondes. Like (laughs) Yes, I have heard this. Yes, and that's that's and and here's the thing, it he uh, there was also this case. So I don't know if anyone there's a and I feel really bad I'm gonna mess this up. So there's this court case by a man named Fry, and this court case is used to this day, but basically, Marston kept trying to introduce his lie detector and as Evans to prove that this guy did not commit murder. And the judge denied it, saying, no, you cannot introduce this. This needs to be tested. This needs to be accepted as something that actually works. Because Marston didn't really do a lot of scientific experiments to test his theory. He just did a couple that were successful and went with it throughout his life. Which just kind of tells you what kind of man he was. He was like, I am so important. I am so great in it. He didn't have the evidence to back it up. And a lot of people saw through that. That's why he kept getting fired.
0: Yeah. Well, and Does that make a lot of
1: sense? Or do I need yeah. to go into more detail? <laughs> And I
0: think nowadays we know that the lie detector test can be fumbled. The administrator of the test can coerce you into admitting things by saying, oh, well, that's a lie and get you to admit, you know, something that really didn't happen. Um, And on
2: top of that, it's fairly easy to manipulate the test yourself. I mean, one of the methods that I've heard of that's pretty juvenile is to put a tack in your shoe and press down on it during. This was another thing that I thought that the movie got laughably wrong. were absolutely no indicator questions at the beginning yep so they didn't ask the standard questions to start off to just judge what your heart rate is to begin with on true questions and very simple questions they just jumped right into the sexual ones which you know get my heart rate up whether i'm (laughs) truthful or not to be honest Um, actually there's
1: one point i do want to make is that marston did not it was not marston who got lie detectors to be accepted by law enforcement it was somebody else who was actually a police officer and i think this guy also may have had a phd in psychology too so They did briefly Uh, mention at the end that
2: other people were using this same technology because he hadn't patented it. Yeah. So that that was quite interesting. And I would be resentful, no. too, if I were his wife and he kept getting fired, and the one and only thing that he could sell, he didn't patent. Yeah.
1: No, well, here's the thing. He tried to use that everywhere he went, and he, people just were like, no, no. Well, <laughs> he, I mean, he tried. He really tried to get it, and that's why the judge kept saying, no, you can't use it as evidence. No, you can't use it. Mind you, the lawyers were actually his students, and they didn't disclose that, so there was... And actually, here's... Well, here's the thing, too. He also went up, I think he got charged with fraud because he'd opened up a business and was deceptive to his partners on how much money he had. So, mind you, the headlines say, creator of the lie detector arrested for fraud. Yikes. Yeah. Not necessarily
0: the industry standard. That does make make me think that does make me think that the portrayal of the lie detector test and how he was using it in the movie is probably accurate because in his mind, oh, I don't need baseline questions. I don't need to test this. I know that this works and it's effective. And then, you know, using the lie detector as the basis for the start of that relationship, you know. Yes, that was mildly horrifying. It, right. Yeah. Um, and and I, I definitely don't believe that That is how that relationship got started, but it makes for a nice movie.
2: It did. In the end, I walked away and thought, I wish they hadn't used real-life names or used this as the basis for Wonder Woman because this did not feel real. But it was a perfectly acceptable storyline if slightly
0: poorly edited. Yeah.
1: And this is one thing I kind of want to, like, because I listened to some interviews and Angela Robinson made a point not to talk to the family about this. She kind of did her own research. And mind you, this took her eight years to make this movie. So she did spend some time. But I honestly think in her research, she focused more on... I want to p- portray the BDSM community better. I want to portray polyamorous better. She had an agenda with this movie. She wanted, and, and to be honest, I feel the movie is actually more of a representation of her because she she admits in an interview. She read Marston's books, like, uh, Emotions of a Normal Person, and that affected her so much. And he actually mentions his book in the movie. And so I honestly think that this movie is, is about her. Not about the Martians, which I kind of, you know, I have mixed feelings about. Because one, I think, okay, I get that. You're right. You wanted to tell your story. But at the same time... This isn't your story. yeah, Yeah, this isn't your story. Yeah. In fact... I actually felt kind of like she portrayed Marston and his family because when Marston died in 1947 from skin cancer, which I suspect is melanoma, they don't say. <laughs> if anyone's wondering why I'm saying melanoma, it's because I'm kind of a cancer person. So... <laughs> anyway, Elizabeth wanted to take over Wonder Woman. She was an editor. She felt she could do that, and DC denied it. In fact, they gave it to Robert... K- I'm gonna mess up his name, but it's Robert Knier, I think I said that right, who, who absolutely Absolutely had no desire to continue with marston's feminist propaganda he was just like nah i'm doing my own thing and again angela robinson took the marston story away from them just like dc did like dc took wonder woman away from their family so that's mm-hmm. why i'm mixed about this movie i yeah. will
2: say that i so i've been reading some of the tweets from christy marston who's um as we've mentioned is the granddaughter of William Marston and Elizabeth, his wife, not Olive. And through some of these tweets, I am led to believe that there is someone else, She's he or she is not named in these tweets, but someone who has been doing a lot of research and including the family in the research and supposedly maybe releasing a book sometime in the near future based on this. So I'm kind of curious to see who that is, first of all, because again, Christy doesn't ever actually name the person, but just says that there is additional research being done by someone who is being very respectful and, and including the family in it, and that they should be releasing it in the near future, and there will be an announcement. So I'm I'm really curious to see what happens when you do include the family, and that's that's another sort of a tricky thing because sometimes families have an innate desire to protect the, their family name and to, in some cases, whitewash the truth. Mm-hmm. So that's not to say that anyone who includes the family would necessarily be more truthful, but perhaps just in a different, in a kind of head in a different direction with their research. So. The truth might be actually at the crossover between two untruthful tales. Right.
0: The only well, people who know are William, Olive, and Elizabeth. So, well, and they're I, all dead. I, kind
1: of, I want to make this point, and this is kind of what's been bothering me about Angela Robbins. She keeps saying, this is my interpretation of the facts. That phrasing, interpretation. So it's very clear she wanted to do whatever she wanted with this story. And, you know, like I said, she did, and I think we've all admitted, she represents BDSM and polyamory really well. You know, I think, you know, she tries to represent Marston's psychology ideas really well because I think they spoke to her. Um, but like I said, it's not her story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, and and I agree. I think she represents bisexuality, polyamory, and BDSM. Well, these aren't topics that are typically tackled by movies anyway. And when they yeah. are, they are typically done poorly. Also, I was looking up Bella Heathcote, who played Olive, because I was like, I recognize her. And I'm thinking the only way I recognize her is she kind of looks like Heather Graham, but uh, because (laughs) I was, I'm looking up her, uh, her history on IMDb and nothing in here I have seen, but apparently she was in Fifty Shades Darker, which is a poorly, (laughs) I have not seen or read any of the Fifty Shades books or movies, but from what I understand, is a very poorly done BDSM portrayal. So, uh, hey, apparently... It's also a
1: poorly done no. story. I watched yes. the movie and I was like, what? <laughs> this is your conflict? Are you... What? Uh, But yeah. A, um, that, that movie's just straight up sex for women. Just, that's porn for women, <laughs> let's be honest here.
0: <laughs> but, yes, for being a movie, I enjoyed this. Regardless of, you know, whether it's respectful of the family or truthful, for just entertainment value um it was a good movie and... Yeah, and
2: honestly if you've got a movie pass it's so cheap that it's worth it
0: <laughs> i don't know that i would pay 15 dollars to go
2: see
1: it yeah uh, well this it'll is probably make me sound Netflix. like a non-famous i like, made my me and my, my boyfriend paid both of us to go see it <laughs> like it was entertaining but for me it kind of taints the movie knowing that and actually i think this is why the family's really mad is she's is that angela robinson's passing this off as oh this is what really happened yeah. I think that's what makes the family mad. And that's does a disservice to Angela Robinson, one, because we all have the internet and resources, and we can search this up. In fact, what she claims at the end of the movie, I think, sh- is not quite even accurate either. This idea that Wonder Woman was stripped of her power. Well, she... at, at
0: some point in the comic history, she was.
1: Yeah, that was Denny O'Neill when he revamped Wonder Woman. But that wasn't until, like, the I think it was around the 60s. I, I didn't get a chance to, do, to double-check yeah, that. Yeah, I don't
0: know when when that was but yeah but she still I, but she, she put, still had
1: her strength they just took away her her lasso of truth and her her bracelets and her costume yeah
0: i'll have to research that a little bit more because i i thought there was one point where she lost everything and when she but s- i think it was part of the storyline right yeah
2: the, the whole point was that she was going to get them back this was not them saying well wonder woman can't be powerful anymore we don't want women to have any kind of superpowers that would not be good it was more of a we're going to tell a story in which she has to fight like a normal person for a while and then we will give them back at the end
1: yeah um, Like I think she, uh, she, but... she still had her strength she just it was more martial arts and she used more guns like it was much more violent mm. which you know I, I read a I read somebody who posted that Robert Kanar. again if I'm butchering your name I apologize he Marston was invested in making this feminist propaganda Robert he just was writing stories this is another story he just had to write the, the man was writing for so many comic books he just wasn't invested in doing feminist propaganda. He was invested just writing a story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So.
2: I think you're right, Becky, in that if this had been, if they had been more careful to portray this, the the movie itself, and it doesn't matter what Angela Robinson says Mm post-movie, because honestly, unless you're us you're not reading her interviews. You're not doing any research on this. You are going to the movie, you are seeing the movie, and you are walking out thinking, wow, that happened. Right. Um, But the beginning of it says, based on a true story, and the end of it has that normal biopic thing where this happened to this person, this happened to that person, this is what happened to the character, this is, you know, William Marston died in 1947 of cancer, blah, blah, blah. Not sure Mm -hmm. why he would be coughing if he had cancer, but you know, if he had skin (laughs) cancer. Skin
0: cancer. (laughs) Yeah. Not (laughs) sure.
2: I think they were trying to take a hit on the fact that he smoked so much, which was my initial (laughs) thought. was like, oh, lung cancer. Yeah, Obviously. that's what I Walked thought out, too. Oh, skin cancer? No, different. no, no. Very
1: different. actually, uh, no, it's funny. The guy had pol- got polio
2: two years before he died, so that's bizarre. So, I mean, just it, as things happen, polio get is usually vaccinated. Um, there you go. <laughs> that's the moral of this story.
1: Dave and um, Andrew and Becky's baby get vaccinated. <laughs> We've already had our two-month so, shots. Anyways. Sorry. Yes.
2: No, no, no. That's that's a good point to make. Hey, by the way, you don't want your kid to turn into FDR or and You William don't want to kill babies. Yeah. Right. Let's get them vaccinated and move forward with uh, researching the story because it it happened yeah. differently. Anyway. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. And and even the claim that Gloria Steinem saved Wonder Woman, I think that might have been, that might have been overplayed. Like the Gloria Steinem did. Release a cover in 1972. She did do a campaign, but Wonder Woman was still being released as a comic book. And I think they were planning on revamping her anyway. And actually, I think the television show made Wonder Woman a lot more successful than Gloria Steinem did. And because they, because I think how I understood it, like I said, read Jill's book. (laughs) (laughs) They did a television movie where Wonder Woman was in the 70s, wasn't very successful. Then they did a television show revamping it to be more like the classic Wonder Woman. And then it was successful. And then the comic book series took off. So, I mean, there again, I feel like, to be honest, I feel like, like that was more of angela robinson i think was affected by Gloria steinman putting it on the cover so that's why like i feel like to be honest i feel like this movie was more about her yeah Mm -hmm. without but here's the sad part people are gonna watch it and not realize this is angela robinson trying to put herself in wonder woman yeah because she is a fan she she is a fan i think honestly in her heart of hearts, she wanted to do this wonder woman movie she wanted to get wonder woman out there and this is a way she could do it i just wish it would have been more factual
0: yeah 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 understand
1: so <sighs> okay. uh,
0: i don't mean to leave us on that no, side you, no?
1: Well, on, Wonder woman. well well <laughs> let's
0: Let's go into what we've been into lately. Tracy, let's start with
2: you. I have been doing a lot of reading, actually. I've been traveling quite a bit, which means that I haul around a lot of books. Books are heavy. Yeah. Yes. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> really? That's, I forget that sometimes. And then I realize I've packed four, pa- four hard, hard covers in my carry on, and I'm like, oh, that was a bad idea. And the other thing is, I've been in the city for a year and a half, and I just finally got my library card last week. Woohoo! <laughs> So, uh, my very first Hello. book from the library was called House of Names by Colm Tobin. Tobin? Tobin. I'm, I don't know. There's a couple accents. I don't know. There's and some umlauts. We... Let's just throw yeah, yeah. in some some yeah. random things. Random words we don't have in, in English. Uh, or random letters we don't have in English. So, this is basically a retelling of the story of Agamemnon and Clytemnestra. So, Clymenestra of course, being the mother of... Oh, I'm going to forget the name of the... Oh, what's the name of their daughter? Um, Ephigenia. The, the one that was murdered in order to bring a fair wind and following sea to Agamemnon's troops as they headed to Troy to battle over Helen, who was the beautiful woman that Paris stole from Achilles, someone?
1: That's what should to every daughter.
2: Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> um, so Clytemnestra, of course, being, was the, was the mother, and, um, she brought her daughter to Agamemnon under the auspices that she would be married to Achilles, and it turned out that that was not true. They were going to sacrifice her in the way of the ancient Greeks, which they did, and angry, she went home and plotted the death of her husband, Agamemnon, and so this book basically picks up almost immediately at Iphigenia's sacrifice, and then going forward, it tells sort of these Branching stories of what then happened to Clymenestra, what happened to Agathus, who helped conspire with her against Agamemnon, how she killed Agamemnon, how their son responded to this, and it's it's a full retelling, but it doesn't go where I was expecting it to go. I, I guess I was just expecting a full story arc, and what the author was trying to get across was that this type of thing leaves everyone sort of blank, full of you know PTSD for some of them, the ones that were immediately there, and just horror that begets horror begets horror and at the end of it it just sort of tapers off into nothingness which I think was the author's point but I didn't personally enjoy it so I'm sad mm-hmm. however I just finished that I'm also reading a book called The Ferryman's Apprentice I think it was an advanced reader copy that I picked up a couple of years ago and didn't read in advance and honestly it's also not that great and I think on this one I'm just going to abandon it so very sad Fair Aww. enough. oh and the other thing that I just started <laughs> is a show from Netflix called Mind Hunters, (gasps) which is about, have you guys been seeing this? I have not,
0: but apparently I I should.
2: You watched the whole thing? Okay, so I just got through one and a half episodes yesterday, and I'm going to, I've heard that it really picks up about halfway through the second episode, so I'm excited to go forward. It's about the FBI sort of growing up. Sometime in, huh. I think, the 70s, I believe, just based on the yeah. wood paneled walls and the professors <laughs> with, you know, crazy hair. And it's about the FBI basically learning that, you know, motives for murder are changing and some people can't be understood with a rational mind and how they then start interviewing serial murderers that are in prison and trying to figure out what exactly is, not only why are, you know, murderers that they have in prison doing things, but then also trying to extrapolate from that on how to catch the next bad guy or perhaps how to stop him in advance. So at least that's the premise of the show. I haven't gotten all the way through it. I've heard good things about it, though, although I'll say the first episode was really slow.
0: Well, I guess, Donnell, you can tell us more about it.
1: (laughs) Okay, since I've seen the whole show, now I'm going to pick up. So basically, it's kind of... uh, If you like finding out about serial killers, if they fascinate you, which I know that makes me a little bit weird, but it is, I don't know, it's so fascinating. So it's kind of like whenever you watch one of those shows about serial killers, they use all these terms like they're profiling, it's this, it's that and you never really understand how did they come to that. And this show explores that. How does the FBI actually start to study serial killers? Because I think the good point they made in the first episode, or at least one of the episodes, is before that, it was always, it was either to get money or kill a lover and now things are different like what do you do when you have someone who leaves a body like or for example cuts off a head and then rapes the corpse of random women they've never met so this is the and I don't know how true this story is I don't know how closely they follow how the FBI but if if it's if any of it's true it's pretty amazing and fascinating that you have this one guy who's like something's going on I want to study this and everybody's like you're crazy Why 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 would you want to talk to a guy who who cut off the head of heads of women and raped the bodies why that's that's insane so yeah hunters. I, I recommend it um i know some other friends of mine jessa who who's in, into serial killers i was mentioning some of the serial killers to her like a, a guy named edmund and i can't remember his last Ed name Dumper? but he was yeah he was the co-ed killer yeah it's it, trust me the in, The ending <laughs> of the show kind of caught me off by surprise which makes me look forward to the second season so i i don't know it just my little curious i'm not gonna lie i was like dang it i wish i could be in their shoes and studying this. <laughs> <laughs> i want a profile <laughs> darn it okay yeah so yeah mind is what i've been in read secret life of wonder woman or listen to it i would say i'd be listening to my podcast but uh apple changed their podcast and no longer do the autoplay which i have now downloaded a different uh podcast app because that's <laughs> ridiculous and people are so pissed and I don't even know if Apple's gonna change it but I will say I've been watching Orville I'm um kind of enjoyed it, it kind of gets that feel like the original Star Trek just yeah some comedy thrown in been watching the good place the second Yay. Nice. Yay. Nice. yeah it's back on it's quite fun and and i i kind of don't want to get say anything because i don't want to do anything no, don't give it like away because yeah. i haven't seen the second season yet oh yeah and, no. then, and then i've been watching there's actually another show i do want to, a couple more shows i want to mention i've been watching ghost with adam scott and i can't remember the other actor craig robertson, <laughs> craig robertson. thank you for the assist, Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's another one it's a it's a new fox series about mutants oh, and this the is gifted kind of, yes yeah i kind of like this premise because this is saying there's no x-men anymore and now basically if you're a mutant and what what i like about it is that the law is So I don't know the exact wording of the law, but basically there's this idea that if you are a mutant and you have a power, you are a threat to society, even if you use it unintentionally. And so it's basically your civil rights have been taken away. And so now these mutants are trying like they don't have the X-Men. So my guess is this is after Logan, possibly. (laughs) It's just this is a fan theory. I could be entirely wrong, but they do mention X Men and saying they're no longer around. I th- so base yeah. So basically, it's like, what do mutants do now that they have no way of be? How do they protect themselves? So I kind of I don't know. I kind of like it. Yeah. That's- Plus it has the guy from True Blood in it. So <laughs> love to see Bill back. Yeah. He's not sucking blood this time.
0: <laughs> I I started watching that too. Um, I've I've only seen the first episode because we were on vacation. And we haven't had a day off since we got back. Um, for me to catch up. But I was like. This is very similar to the premise of Heroes where there's this guy whose job it is to hunt the people with powers and then his kids end up having powers and then he has to go and protect the people with powers and I was like yeah but Heroes was also a ripoff of X-Men so it's all it all just comes full circle so well
1: I I, I do want to take it in defense of that character he's a lawyer he's the one who prosecutes them so I kind of like that twist more is that mean that he's a lawyer and so you're getting more legal aspect and i think maybe the show might be playing on how do we take away people's rights for those who are wondering wondering,
2: some of them are fairly heavy-handed social commentary on the way that we treat people in the lgbt community i think and i think that's been going on for years yeah well to be although nowadays i think it might be an interesting commentary on this debate that's now coming up on whether or not now that we can test for various neurological deficiencies mm-hmm. in the womb, yeah. is it ethical to select who's born? Which is an interesting thing going forward, but probably a yeah. subject for another
0: podcast. <laughs> yeah, we could talk for another hour or Good. more on that.
1: <laughs> which I'm gonna I'm gonna leave on a night. Uh, I'm gonna say one more nice thing. You guys can't see this, but you might be hearing the jingle. But Joseph is playing with Gilda in the background. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, it's very entertaining. <laughs> How about you? What have you been into? I have been binge watching everything you can binge watch. So, Baby Groot is almost three months old. And he nurses a lot. So it's a lot of sitting on the couch and just binge watching. Um, I (laughs) have finally figured, like, I had this book that I wanted to read and I can never, I'm doing everything one handed because I have a baby uh, in my arms at all times. And it finally occurred to me, hey, I have a Kindle. I could read on that. I prefer an actual book. But, yeah. like, if I want to read, I'm going to have to do it on a Kindle because that's the only way I can do it easily one handed. But, um, and,
1: and Becky is amazing because <laughs> she was breastfeeding that baby in Disneyland. Yes.
0: So last week we were in California and <laughs> Andrew and I and Dude and Donnell and Chris and Jesso went to Disneyland together. And yes, I was feeding my child in line and, oh, my back was killing me by the end of that.
1: Oh, I took that baby as many <laughs> yes. times
0: as I could. <laughs> I was like, here you go. Please take him. But yeah, so binge watching a lot of stuff lately. Uh, you know, I've been watching The Good Place and uh, and The Gifted and stuff like that. I've also been, you know, watching Star Trek Discovery and The Orville. But lately, it, all of those are, you know, coming out now. So watching them one episode at a time. But I've been binge watching Will & Grace, the old, <laughs> the old Will & nice. Grace in preparation for the new Will & Grace, uh, oh. which has already come out the first three episodes i think i've seen the first one so yeah yeah binge watching will and grace and star trek next gen so that's so if
2: you guys have any binge watching recommendations for becky (laughs) leave those in the
1: comments Please, I desperately need shows. (laughs) Correct me in the comics and leave shows. Which did you did you watch Atypical by any chance? Yes, I did watch Atypical. Darn it, that was my one
0: recommendation. (laughs) Yeah, that was that was interesting. You know, I I appreciate that people with disabilities are now being represented. You know, my background is in special ed, so seeing all of these shows, I want to watch The Good Doctor too. But on the other hand, all of these shows, especially with autism, the person with autism who's featured is always high functioning and that's not most people with autism do not have savant syndrome many are nonverbal like it's so it's not the greatest portrayal if you really want a great portrayal of of people with disabilities i highly recommend the show speechless which is about a child with a he's a young man with cerebral palsy and he is nonverbal and they use an alternative communication device with him and you know, the show embraces the fact that he's nonverbal and he's played by an actor who does have CP. The actor can speak, but but has difficulty with it. But it's a comedy. And uh, oh, shoot, what's her name? Minnie Driver uh, plays his mom and she, you know, goes on the rampage to get him, you know, what she feels he deserves. And and it's entertaining, but it's also the most realistic portrayal of families with disabilities that I've seen in the media. So, that is a show I definitely recommend, and I was catching up with that this morning. <laughs> so, yeah. <sighs> and then I started reading Wonder Woman after seeing the movie the other day, and I was originally just reading it for research for this podcast, and now I'm getting really into it. So,
1: we'll see. Nice. Nice. It's- it's a good book. I mean, what I will, I will say what I found surprising is that you got a lot of history of feminism and Margaret Sanger, but it wasn't unnecessary. You're like, this is wow, this is really important. Yeah. And, and the way the book ends, just great. I don't I don't know if I should say it.
2: <laughs> oh, I think you're talking about Secret Life of Wonder Woman, yes, and which is yes, talking yes, about yes, the comic sorry. book. Yes. Yes. No. No. Um, but Secret Life I, of Wonder Woman, which is also engrossing.
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have Secret Life of Wonder Woman downloaded on my Kindle. And then I'm also reading the old Wonder Woman comics. So we'll see how long it takes me to get through those. Because again, good reading luck. Took is. To write. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: South Park Frack Butthole is coming out on Tuesday. I'm excited. Sorry, I know I'm going to throw that in. <laughs> South
2: Park Fractured Butthole. That sounds about right for South Park.
1: Interesting. <laughs> Which, by the way, new season's pretty good so far. I forgot to mention that. Excellent. <laughs> All right, folks,
2: if we, you like what we do, you can head on over to com, where you can find old podcast episodes and you can find all of our old blog posts on all kinds of different things. You can subscribe to this podcast and other podcasts like it on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram all have interesting stuff from us from time to time. So once again, I'm Tracy. I'm
1: Becky. I'm Donnell.
2: And you've been listening to Therefore I Geek. Woohoo!